Two men who have played a very influential role in my life, both as a pastor and as a man. I'll tell you about the one who influenced me as a pastor first, and then I'll tell you about the the second guy uh, at the end of our message today. The first one was an individual who was born in 1930. I know for some of you, that is a long time ago. I know for some of you, that was a short time ago. I'm just kidding. This individual was born in 1930 in Virginia, and he was called by the Lord to be a shepherd, or in our modern context, a pastor. He pastored a church uh, off one of the neighborhoods by Providence Square. Uh, this man passed away in 2017, but what he taught me was something that was incredibly valuable as a pastor. He taught me how to patiently endure both the joys and the burdens that come with serving a full-time ministry. A lot of the most valuable lessons that I've learned in this life have not necessarily been communicated by word of mouth but they have been modeled. And this man modeled it. He was old and he was full of days. In the Old Testament, when you see those words and phrases used of saints of old, a lot of times it denotes a great respect. So to this pastor, I have the utmost respect. This pastor was blessed in the sense that he got to see his children, his grandchildren, and six of his great-grandchildren walk this earth before he was taken home. He fought the good fight, he finished his race, and he kept his faith all the way to the end. The man's name was Jimmy Meads. He was a local pastor around this area. And he loved the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his might, and with all of his strength. And he served the kingdom of God until the end of his days. And now he is in glory after patiently enduring the tribulations of this life, worshiping the Father in heaven. The reason that I bring Pastor Jimmy into this message Uh, It's just because of how much value and how many of the things he taught me as a young man and as a pastor. And so what I want you all to understand is regardless of your age or stage in life right now, be a student of patiently enduring and suffering. Whether that be you are serving in a ministry capacity, whether you're being called to full-time ministry, whatever that looks like, can we as believers in Christ patiently endure? Today, we're gonna be in the book of James We're going to be in chapter 5, and we're going to be focusing specifically in verses 7 through 12. Give you guys a little context while we're talking, while you're turning your Bibles to that chapter. Yes, last week, Pastor Shagree talked about IDing some signs of materialism in James 5, 1 through 6, the dangers of them, and how to practice healthy stewardship. Now, James transitions after talking about those things to being patient in the midst of suffering. Whenever I hear the word patience, my teeth grit, my stomach turns upside down because I know that something is coming when we are called to be patient. So beginning in verse seven, this is what it says. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. 
Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Father, would you just be with us as we open up your word of truth today? Um, protect me from myself. Help us rightly divide it. Lord, would you just be with us as we talk about patiently enduring the sufferings of this life? Give us strength. I pray for anybody in here who's walking through a suffering, God, that you would just strengthen and uplift them. Lord, that, you would, that your Holy Spirit would just minister to them. You are kind and a good father. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. So right off the bat, James says, be patient. Like I said before, whenever a Bible passage starts off with the words, be patient, I start to feel sick. Because I know that there is going to be a testing, a tribulation, a temptation, something that is coming along the way that is calling us to be patient. Here's what's funny. A lot of times we think patience is an action. So therefore, when I'm walking through sufferings of various kinds, I must perform the action of patience. I must do patience. I must provide opportunities for myself to be patient. What would it look like instead of doing the action of patience if we in our hearts we're just still and trusted in God. If we would just be still and know that God is present and know that God is good. Sometimes that temptation is so great to where we get overwhelmed in the midst of patience. We look to the right, we look to the left, we begin to say, oh my goodness, I have all these terrible things that are going on in my life. I'm experiencing loss. I'm experiencing financial struggles. I'm experiencing frustrations with the people who I'm doing life with, with my family, whatever it may be, fill in the blank. I need to go and remedy the situation. A lot of times that's why we choose to do the action of patience instead of, in, instead of just sitting back and being still and listening to what God has to say. When we're walking through suffering, it is imperative that we allow ourselves to be ministered to. The temptation of your culture is, let me expedite this process as quick as I can. Let me get out of suffering so fast so that way I can go and be happy. You can still be joyful in the midst of suffering. You can still endure even when times are hard. You do not simply have to wish these things away. There is a beauty of being still and knowing that God is actively present and working even in the midst of suffering. We could literally sit there the entire day today and not read the rest of these verses and let that soak in and marinate, but we will continue on. In the latter half of the verse seven, James says, until the coming of the Lord. All right, so here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to turn in your Bibles all the way to Revelation. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. We're not gonna go into Revelation. That was just a ministry joke. That's it. So. We're going, to be, we're going to be focusing on this little notion of the coming of the Lord. Here's the minimum that you need to know about the coming of the Lord. He is coming back, but we don't know when. So James is stressing, until the coming of the Lord, be patient. Wait, be still, and know that God is good. Endure. 
And then he goes to this beautiful analogy of a farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. So if you go to the Palestinian climate, okay, which is where James, the people who he's ministering to, this is taking place. The early and the late rains are very viable in the Palestinian climate. In other words, you need those early and late rains in order for those precious fruits to grow. So what's so interesting is that in that climate, if you go and you go and sow the seeds inside the ground, you need the early rain so that way it can help the seeds take root. And then you go into the late rains and the late rains come right before the harvest time, right before the plants sprout. And so what James is stressing here is you need to be patient just like a farmer is patient to grow things. So are you a patient farmer? Are you willing to patiently wait and patiently endure until the coming of the Lord? I believe there is both a literal meaning to this and there is also a spiritual meaning to this. The literal is this. If you and I were all farmers and we planted seeds inside the ground, let's say we plant corn, the early rains come, it takes root, we still have to work the ground. Don't forget that. We still have to be actively working the ground that God has called us to minister to, which is right here in Chesapeake. That is what we must do. The farmer doesn't just simply sit back, put some miracle grow on that sucker, and then just watch it grow 30 seconds later. Doesn't work like that. You have to continually till and work the ground until it is time for the harvest. So how are we, for those of us who are followers in Christ, for those of us who are going to be disciples who go and make disciples, how are we actively working the ground that God has called us to? Are we being patient? Are we enduring until it's coming again? Until that harvest season arrives? And that is a spiritual application. Again, I firmly believe that when James is talking about this, that he uses this analogy to talk about the passing of time until that harvest season arrives when the Lord comes back again. And so are you not only physically working the ground, but are you spiritually allowing the soil of your heart to be developed and prepared until the Lord comes back again? And that is really hard to do when we are suffering. It requires patience. It requires endurance. It requires steadfastness. And so if you didn't get that analogy, I love James' bluntness. In verse eight, it says this, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The key word in this verse is establish. Take root, establish inside of your hearts, be prepared, be ready for it is literally at hand. It could come at any given time. And what's crazy is that these people are consistently being oppressed. Again, the church is in its early stage, okay? It's not all sunshines, rainbows, and unicorns, all right? This isn't like a happy-go-lucky version of the church. This is a portion of the church that is actively getting persecuted for the sake of Christ as they are carrying the message of the gospel. There is a burden and a weight that comes with that, not just for pastors, but also for believers in Christ. You have to endure in the midst of suffering. In our modern day context, a lot of what we see in the West is verbal persecutions. You're a Christian, you're dumb, you're crazy, you're stupid, fill in the blank. We see a lot of these verbal persecutions that come our way, and what's so funny is if we look back to the past, if we look back to what God's word literally says, these guys were enduring persecution to the point where they were being, again, faithful even to the point of death. 
that faithfulness, that cadence, that belief in what God had the capacity to do in their lives, even to the point of death, they were still faithful. And then when we hear words of persecution that come against us, we shrink back into the background. If we allowed people's words to dictate the way that we lead, we, that we lead our lives, we wouldn't live them to the fullest capacity that God has called us to live them. You must patiently and endure and establish in your hearts he is coming back. And while we are waiting for him to come back, we must go and make disciples of all nations. One of my favorite parts about the Great Commission that a lot of times individuals leave out when they're teaching on it is the end. It says, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So if we're called to patiently endure, we know that Christ is gonna be with us always to the end of the age. We should find comfort and peace in that. And there's such a beauty that comes with knowing that God is going to be with us and present in the midst of our suffering. Verse nine, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When we experience seasons of persecution in the body of the church, or we're going through sufferings of various kinds, it's easy to have a short fuse. It's easy to get frustrated with one another, whether that be inside of your family, whether that be inside here of the church. And so here's what James is saying. Do not grumble, do not stir up strife, Trust in what God is going to do. Know that the judge is standing right at the door. Again, the coming of the Lord is right at hand. Know that he is right there and the Lord is ready to go as soon as the Father sends him. And so if he's right here, then we should not be grumbling with one another. We should not be stirring up strife. We shouldn't be stirring up controversy. When individuals are going through suffering, we have two very broad key roles that we need to, do, need to perform as believers in Christ. The first one comes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and it's going to be in verse 14. And here's what it says. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. There's that word again, patient. So when individuals are walking through seasons of suffering, other brethren, believers in Christ, our job is this, we are to encourage admonish the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. A lot of times the temptation is to rush individuals out of suffering. You need to do this, this, and this, and then you can get out of it, you're good. We're called to encourage them while they were going through suffering. We are called to be patient with them. And you know what patience requires? A listening ear. A lot of times in my experience, when people have come and asked for counsel, they are not necessarily right off the bat seeking wisdom on how to get out of that season. A lot of times they're just wanting to be heard. And so as a believer of Christ, can you be a good listener? Can you listen to the needs of the people that God has called you to shepherd and disciple? And then here's another thing that we need to do as well. And that comes from Romans chapter eight, verse 18. And it's this perspective that we need to have and Paul beautifully writes this passage, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It is maintaining this heavenly perspective and heavenly posture in your heart that the sufferings of this current time, though they will be challenging, though they will be frustrating, though they're gonna hurt, 
I know that the future glory is coming. So therefore, I will continually labor for the sake of Christ and for the sake of what he has called me to do. Another thing that we forget when we're walking through seasons of suffering is to look at, this is your second point, examples of patience and suffering. James begins at verse 10. He says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, why would James immediately go to the prophets? Well, a lot of times the prophets were asked to carry the word of the Lord to a specific people, whether that be the nation of Israel, whether that be to other pagan nations as well about condemnation that could potentially be coming, whether that be to kings, to individuals who are in places and positions of authority. And so in our modern context as believers in Christ, what does that look like? What's the correlation here? We are carrying a gospel message that other people do not like. We will be persecuted for this gospel message. The realistic expectation is just like the prophets went through all this persecution and suffering, so will we, by carrying the gospel message, go through various sufferings and tribulations of all kinds. So can you carry this message? Can you carry this message of love and truth? Can you carry it even if you're going to suffer? And are you willing to experience that burden? But the beautiful part is that Jesus didn't leave us alone when he ascended into heaven, right? He left us with a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he is here to help us in the midst of times of suffering. We go to the Father And we say, Father, I'm going through this suffering. I'm going through this pain. I'm going through this agony, and I don't know what to do. Take the load off and lay it at his feet. When you experience sufferings of various kinds, give them to the Father. Allow him to minister towards you. Now, James moves from this specific example, or this very broad example of individuals. And if you ever wanna check out how awesome the prophets were, go to Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it's beginning in verse 32. There are some really awesome examples of the prophets who were faithful even until the end. He continues in verse 11 by giving the example of a specific individual who is Job. Behold, we have considered those blessed who remain steadfast. If you're remaining steadfast in the midst of suffering, you are blessed. You are blessed. Because through your example of how you walk through suffering, God can use that as a testimony to other people. He can use the things that you walk through as an example to potentially lead others to Christ. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you experience trials of various kinds. We consider it joy for those reasons. God gives us the opportunity to speak life into individuals who are spiritually dead. That is both the burden and the blessing of being a spiritual farmer. And so it goes to this specific example of Job. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. I'm gonna give you a brief overview of Job's story. Job, mighty man of God. He was a follower and a believer in the Lord, and here's what he did. He was following God all the days of his life. Again, the devil was given the opportunity to go and tempt Job in a variety of ways and afflict him in a variety of ways. He experienced all this great loss. He was given the opportunity to curse God and die, but you know what he did? He remained steadfast and endured. He did not curse God and die. He was steadfast, and because of that, God blessed him in a great way. Check out Job, beginning in verse 42. Or sorry, chapter 42, verses 10 through 17. Here's what God did. 
because of the steadfastness of Job. Verse 10, And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then came to him all his brothers and sisters and all who had known him before and ate bread with him in his house. And they showed him sympathy and comfort him for all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. And each of them gave him a piece of money and a ring of gold. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters, which he called the name of the first daughter, Jemima, and the name of the second daughter, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapuk. And in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. You should find comfort in the fact that we have a father who blesses us as we walk through sufferings of various kinds. You should find comfort in the fact that as we go through the trials and the tribulations of this world, that our heavenly father loves us enough that once we get on the back end of those trials, we have the opportunity to walk in obedience to the faithfulness that we have committed to all the days of our lives. And so he he concludes this by saying, and you have seen, this is in verse 11, the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful that even as we go through suffering, God is still compassionate and merciful. That's something that's very hard to wrap our heads around. Especially when we think about suffering, we think about it being as almost like a condemnation or a bad thing. It's hard to maintain a heart posture and understand in our minds that when we go through sufferings of various kinds, it is purposeful. And a lot of times it is utilized to bring glory to God. And so God in his compassion and his mercy was so kind to the steadfastness of Job that he blessed him. So that same God who was able to bless Job has the capacity to bless you as you go through sufferings and struggles of various kinds. That is one of the things that I love so much about our Heavenly Father, is that he's so kind to give us that opportunity to go and endure patiently the various sufferings and tribulations of this world in order that we may bring him glory, that we may glorify him and that he may get all honor and all praise. So how is he compassionate and merciful? Well, while we were still sinners, the Lord sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. A beautiful image, not only of compassion and mercy, but also grace. Grace is one of the most beautiful concepts that we see inside of the Bible, God giving to us what we do not deserve. And what we deserved was the penalty of death, eternal punishment, separation from the Father. That is because at the beginning, Adam and Eve chose, instead of the relationship with God, a relationship with sin. And if you look at the Bible, the entirety of it is this beautiful love story that is full of grace, compassion, and mercy, amongst other things to describe it. And because of Christ sacrifice on the cross for our sins, his death, burial, and resurrection, we have the opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. And we do that by inviting him into our hearts and into our lives, by believing that he rose from the dead and confessing with our mouth that he is Lord. It is simple. And so for us as believers in Christ, can we compassionately walk in obedience to that? Can we receive that compassion 
to those of us who do not know him. Because the beautiful part about God's mercy is that is God withholding that which we did deserve. And so with his grace and with his mercies, can we come to him when we are burdened by the sufferings of this time? When we are feeling the weightiness of everything that is going on in our lives? The most beautiful part about being a believer in Christ is being able to walk through patiently the sufferings and the tribulations of this life. The last verse that I have for you is this, verse 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This verse is very much so intriguing. It seems like it's randomly inserted into the conclusion of patience and endurance amidst suffering, but it is not. I'm gonna give you three perspectives about where this verse could potentially fit. The first is this. There's some scholars who believe that this verse can fit with verse nine, where it says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so you may not be judged. In other words, do not make oaths against one another that are condemning, right? Then there's another belief by most scholars that verse 12 begins this process of almost like a three-phase conclusion to the final chapter here in James. Then there's another belief, and this is the one where I set my feet in. I believe that this passage of Scripture is so vital and so important for this purpose and this reason. Do not make an oath to expedite the process of suffering. In other words, do not make a swear, and I'm not talking about a cursing of God, Okay, what I'm saying is like the equivalent of putting your, the modern day equivalent of putting your hand in the Bible and say is, and when you're going into court or some of those expressions, like I swear on my mother's grave, do not make oaths like these to expedite your process and suffering. And James actually goes and he quotes what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. And then he says this beginning in verse 31, pardon me, 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So for us, this is why it's so important not to make oaths to try to expedite the process of suffering. It's this your speech oftentimes can reveal your spiritual condition. So what comes out of your mouth can reveal what's going on internally inside of your heart. And this is something that's really, really important for you to remember. A lot of times when we are going through sufferings of various kinds, we can make rash comments. In other words, we can make comments that are very abrasive and unpredictable and unplanned. And so for us, we do not need to go out there rashly in the midst of suffering and go and make an oath to God that if you do this, God, or if I do this, God, will you please deliver me from this suffering? That's not to say that we cannot pray to be delivered from suffering, but for us not to make an oath to get out of suffering. We need to learn how to dwell and endure through the suffering. Again, I believe that this is put in here as a reminder for us not to be impatient because this is what this whole section of scripture talks about is being patient, not being impatient. So do not be impatient. Do not try to rush out of this posture of walking through suffering, but rather patiently endure for the sake of Christ because of how much Christ was willing to endure for us on the cross. 
And so if you know that your spiritual condition is struggling, surround yourself with these brothers and sisters in Christ. Call up that individual who holds you accountable and say, hey, I need to talk. I don't wanna say something foolish. That is why the Bible stresses in verse 12, again, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yes or no are sufficient when it comes to oaths. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Yes, I will endure this present suffering or no, I will not. It is up for us to choose. This is the burden that we face when we walk through sufferings of various kinds. And so for you, the believer in the room, if you're walking through a suffering, whatever that may look like, talk to somebody about it. Do not let it sit inside of the pit of your stomach. Find a mentor, find somebody to get discipled by and allow yourself to be able to talk about what sufferings you are experiencing in your life. The worst thing that you can do is when you're walking through suffering is to isolate yourself. Isolation is where the enemy thrives. If I am by myself and I'm not with my church body or if I'm not with these individuals who are pouring into me, then I'm more inclined to believe the lies of the devil and he is a deceiver. That is his role and his job is to deceive. So if you know who your enemy is and you identify who your enemy is and you know that in moments when I go through suffering, oftentimes we make rash decisions, oftentimes we say foolish things. If I know I'm gonna do that, then why not find somebody, one of my brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to talk to about it? We have wonderful individuals that lead our small groups here at Coastal. We have awesome pastors that are on staff here that would love to talk to you about things that you are walking through. That is our job, is to take care of the sheep. One of the most beautiful things, circling back to that pastor who I was talking to you about earlier, one of the beautiful things about Pastor Jimmy, and this is something that he modeled and that I just wanna continue to model as I continue this ministry journey, is that he knew his sheep by name. Here at Coastal, we wanna know every single one of you by name. One of the things that he did is when he was going and he was writing uh, to the members of the church when they first joined, he prayed over them and he followed the Lord's leading and wrote a specific verse to that member by name. And it was so funny, I was online and I was reading uh, what they wrote down on his obituary. You could go and comment on some of these websites. And so I was writing out what people commented and so many people said that that passage of scripture that he took the time to write down was something that became a life verse that they lived the entirety of their life by. They were able to take that verse, use it as a motivation and endure. And so for you, whatever you may be walking through in this life, know that you have people here who are willing to talk with you about what you are going through. The job of a pastor is not to simply get up here and teach God's word of truth. That's part of it. It's a fundamental component of it. But a greater job is to disciple and feed the sheep. If you are hurting, let us know. If you are broken and in need, let us know. We are here to help. That second individual that I wanted to talk to you about, this dude was born in 1942 in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, he served in the Navy. He worked for the Credit Bureau for a long time. Um, man, I don't normally cry. I'm not a big crier, but today I will be. Um, met a girl down in Frying Pan, North Carolina. 
That was a real place, by the way. Beautiful girl. Got married, worked for a credit bureau for years. But his greatest joy was um, maintaining a worshipful um, heart posture, um, singing songs of praise to God amidst patiently enduring the things of this life. Um, that man went to be with the Lord in August of 2019. But he taught me so much. Um, kids, you know that I've, I've said this to you before. Um, one of the things that I loved about this man is, is uh, this man was my grandfather. Um, one of the things that I loved about him so much was that whenever I would leave his house, he would pull me in like this, and then he would go and whisper in his ear, I love you, buddy, and I'm proud of you. And as a teenager, as a teenager, walking through that, all the different things that, that you go through throughout your teens, and even, even as a kid and even through adults, you don't know how much that means to an individual. Um, my grandfather taught me how to patiently endure the various sufferings of all kinds. But again, his greatest joys were singing songs of praise and worship to God and teaching uh, as a substitute teacher uh, at a school, a private Christian school down the road. So one of the most valuable lessons uh, that my grandfather, again, ever taught me is as I'm walking through the things in this life, you strip everything all away in the midst of suffering. All I have is Christ. That's all I have. You take it all away, all I have is Christ. And what was so beautiful is before he passed, um, he was singing songs of praise and worship to God. He fought the good fight, he finished his race, and he kept his faith. And he was blessed, he was old and full of days. He got to see his children grow up, lived on a riverboat in Tennessee with one of them. He got to see his grandchildren, and he got to see one great-grandchild before he left this earth. It's funny, the world will say that um, my grandfather lost his battle to cancer. But in reality, I think my perspective has changed to this. Yes, he lost his battle to cancer, but he patiently endured and won because he finished his race. So for all of you who are in this room, young, old, everywhere in between, can you follow the testimony that's left by the saints of old? Can you follow and be obedient to what Christ has called you to do? Can you be a faithful and dependent follower of Christ? So Banton makes her way back up to the stage. Um, one of the things that I want to leave you So you walk through the trials and the tribulations that you experience in this life. Again, it is easy to maintain this posture of just bitterness, frustration, sufferings, various kinds when they come and afflict us. It's easy to sit down and say, man, God, I'm really upset with you that I have to walk through this. However, what would it look like if every single one of this in this room, when those individuals who are experiencing suffering rallied around each other and in the midst of that suffering said, I love you and I'm proud of you for enduring it. How would that change the perspective of suffering in the life of the modern day believer? Because yes, though it does look different, at the end of the day, you strip it all away. All that I have left is Christ. I will sing evermore hallelujah to that great name. And so the last song that we're gonna to have today is a song called All I Have is Christ. And it is a beautiful hymn 
that just portrays the, the wonders um, that, that God has done for us by sending his son to die on the cross for our sins. And so as we enter into this time of worship, one of the things that I want to challenge you with is this. Uh, as you worship the Father, can you give all that you have, number one, to the Lord? And number two, can you admit that whatever seasons of struggling and suffering that you're going through, that all I have is Christ. He's a great dad. He's a great father. So whatever you may be walking through, whether it's loss, trial, tribulation, whether it be financially with people, or just in general, take it all away. What do you have left? Things of this world? Or a father who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you? So please join me in singing the song, All I Have is Christ.